For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's do it. Ah, welcome back to Hurtel. Okay, she's back. We like her. I know you like her because y'all keep sending me emails and stuff about when Sarah coming back. She's back. She got another piece out on inaugurations and accidental presidents. This is going to be fun. Always love talking a little history with our friend Sarah Stook from over in the UK. How are you, ma'am? Great to see you again. I'm good. Thank you for having me on again. It's always super fun. This is fun because we don't, thankfully, have a presidential cycle right now, but we're entering into the 2024 presidential cycle. We'll talk about this last time you're here. We, we, you know, y'all are getting ready to do the coronation of King Charles. We do inaugurations every four years. So it's just kind of a regular, you know, it's a routine. It's just something we do. You've got eight examples here of when it wasn't routine, either by death or assassination. These are fun to go over. Let's start with the first one, though, because this is one of those not really talked about presidents very much. Johnny Tyler, as Val Kilmer would have said in Tombstone, right? John Tyler, but he was the first, and the way he handled it set the tone, kind of like George Washington being the first president. When you go first, you set the tone. The way he handled it, because the vice presidency then was not what the vice presidency now is at all, was it? You know, me and my mum were re-watching Vice yesterday, and I said to her, Dick Cheney is easily the most powerful vice president that's ever been. And for the majority of history, no one really gave a rubbish about them, even though, you know, presence heartbeats fail, so they had to step up. So, yeah, I mean, 1841. I mean, John Tyler didn't even reside in D.C. He was just chilling out at home in Virginia. That's how irrelevant it seemed to be. Yeah, now he gets called in because um, William Henry Harrison gets ill and dies. They had a little bit of notice. They knew he was going to die there was a real question whether he was actually going to be the president or if he was just going to be the caretaker. You just mentioned it one heartbeat away. We now know that the second one, the president stops breathing, the vice president immediately becomes president. That was very much an issue then though. He had to fight for that and set that standard though, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, it was unprecedented. This had never happened before. So nobody knew what's it when something is unprecedented. You know, like maybe you could argue maybe Brexit was unprecedented, like things like that were first thing to happen. And the Constitution doesn't really make it super duper clear, but people probably should have thought of that when you elect really old men who walk around in swamps with no coat on. And that swamp was literal, not just, you know, D.C. itself. There's another one you cover here. This is an interesting name in history because another president that's mostly been forgotten by modern millard fillmore um zachary taylor another president that doesn't get a lot of the pub nowadays but two really interesting individuals 
Fillmore got forgotten, not for ungood reason, because he was not a very good president. Uh, there's a lot of the pre-Civil War stuff that runs through his administration, especially just neglecting things, kicking the can down the road, not dealing with things. But Miller Fillmore's inauguration and his ascendancy to the presidency is rather interesting, even though most people have forgotten about it. For those folks that don't know who he is, walk us through it a little bit. I mean, I think the only reason he's remembered because he has a fantastic name. I think that's like the thing, isn't it? You remember somebody when they've got a strange name and he was like the example of it. He was put on the Taylor ticket because he was from New York and New York was super important. He basically spent most of his time in Albany or NYC. And then word came that uh, Zachary Taylor had died. And he thought, oh, I'm president now. So Taylor lasted a little bit longer than Harrison, but only, well, everybody lasted longer than Harrison, apart from maybe Liz Truss. Liz Truss, you know what? I'd have to look it up. It's pro. I, I think Truss got him by just a little bit. Yeah, um, it's, much. it's like a really small margin. They didn't do the lettuce thing back then, but if they did, the lettuce would have won that one. The Compromise of 1850 is the dominant thing about Miller to Fillmore. For folks that don't remember this, th this is one of those um, piles of tinder that was laying around that helped spark the Civil War. It involves slavery. He tried to basically just kick the can of the question down the road, and it really blew up on him where he made everybody mad, made the situation far, far worse. And then, of course, 11 years later, we have an all-out Civil War. But that's really what he's more remembered for besides just his ascendancy as a vice president. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those historical what-ifs, isn't it? You know, had Zachary Taylor done a full term, would that kind of thing happened? It's the same for every president. Had Kennedy lived, would he have done the Civil War? You know, if Reagan had died, what would Bush have done? You know, there's so many what-ifs, and that is a really interesting one. But I think Zachary Taylor probably would have done the same kind of thing because he wasn't a politician, really. He was a soldier, you know, and that's why people were surprised he died. Old, rough and ready, all strong and tough, suddenly dies because he's got, what, diphtheria or gastroenteritis or something like that. So, yeah, I think it's one of those, it was a, a tricky political situation. The obvious answers to people today would be just free the slaves because slavery is awful. But something like that back then would have been, you know, a non-entity. It wouldn't have happened like that. So I can understand them wanting to kick the can down the road, but it really didn't help as evidenced by the Civil War. Yeah, and you wrote about it before. There's quite a bit of evidence we think of presidential assassinations, you know, bullets, something like this, something big and spectacular. Um, McKinley got gut shot and took several, took quite a while to die. Lincoln's assassination, JFK's on video. So that one's really good. There's pretty good evidence. He may have just died because they had bad water at the White House. Like that's almost inconceivable. You want to talk about times changing. We had to, we had a president die probably because he had contaminated drinking water in the White House. People like a good conspiracy theory. It's why people think Warren G. Harding was poisoned by his wife. I mean, to be fair, she had good reason. He was a terrible husband, but he had a heart attack. He had really poor heart. Things like that happen. Though it didn't help with the fact she refused an autopsy. Makes her look a bit sketchy. If you get her on a true crime website, everyone would be like, the wife is hiding something. <laughs> Sarah Stuck joining us. All right, another guy with a great name for a president, Chester A. Arthur, not to be confused with all the other Arthurs out there. Here's another one, kind of like Tyler. He was a window dressing vice president. He wasn't part of Garfield's administration in any way. He spent most of his time not even in D.C. He basically stayed in New York. 
Um, this is another really interesting one where this guy was never supposed to be president and then because of what happened, became president. And it's the second one where they came from an assassination, not just the death. You obviously had uh, Lincoln and Johnson before that. And Garfield, he sort of lingered for a few days, whereas like Lincoln died like overnight. Garfield, you know, lingered for a couple of days and everyone was um and ah and they thought he was going to be okay. And then, you know, he wasn't okay. He was quite poorly. And that's when, you know, Arthur was called and they said, look, he's, you need to come. But he was in New York when it happened because he didn't want to seem over eager, which is understandable, really. And you know the word came because you know he Garfield died a horrific, horrible, long, worn-out death of months. So you know, what do you do when a president doesn't die immediately? You know, you can't really spring in because I mean it already looked bad enough because the assassin yelled out now or now Chester Arthur will be president, which made him look implicated, and people already didn't like him. So when he sent the presidency, people really didn't trust him. And apparently he was a nice guy, you know, he loved his wife and you know, he was quite he was didn't want to be president that way. But at the same time, you know, the implications there were not fascinatingly good for him. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Arthur's a really interesting one because he was really upset by this assassination, even though they weren't really friends or close whatsoever. But it really weighed on him that he got the post. He's one. He's the only president um, that, or the last president, I guess I should say, who did not have a vice president himself. He's mad that, isn't it? Like that's how you became president. They like, oh no, I don't need one. Yeah, it's really interesting. He tried to do some really important stuff like civil reform, which was really bad at the time. It was a hot button issue that needed addressing. But he just came off kind of meek. He was kind of kneecapped from the very beginning of his administration. And he's forgotten. You you listed it in the piece. Um, he's frequently listed as the least remembered president, which is kind of remarkable considering, you know, he's more towards the more modern era presidents. But nobody remembers the guy, even though the circumstances are extraordinary. Yeah, I kind of feel a bit bad for him because I may, I know this is like a really weird way to phrase it, but he's got quite a normal name. You remember Millard Fillmore because the name is weird. Chester A. Arthur, fairly ordinary name. Chester, maybe not in your hair a lot of, but it's certainly more, you know, common than Phil, my lad Fillmore. And that's how I just think people remember weird names and weird stories. Sarah Stook joining us, his story. And okay. 
from one of the least remembered to one of the most remembered presidents. I know he's one of your personal favorites, Teddy Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt. McKinley's assassination is something I've studied a little bit because I just I find it fascinating, the circumstances surrounding it. Teddy's a little different. They almost made him vice president to try to kind of keep him out of the way for the few years because everybody knew he was ambitious. Everybody knew he wanted to be president. So they're like, well, we'll make him vice president. He can't do any damage there. Right. Whoops. Well, as Mark Hannes said, that damn cowboy could be president. And he was right. They should have listened to him instead of, you know, keeping him away. They thought, oh, no, I'll be fine. Because, I mean, you know, McKinley was sort of fairly young, fairly healthy. So, and it had been like, what, 30 years, 20 years since the presidential assassination. Nobody thought that it was going to happen again. And then, boom, stomach shot. Yeah, and it was funny because Roosevelt actually didn't want to be vice president because he thought it was going to um, hinder him. He actually did respect McKinley quite a bit. So he didn't want to play second Finley to McKinley. He rushed to McKinley's side. McKinley was gut shot for people to not know the full story. They thought he might live, though. He actually started to improve, but they, you know, they didn't have the modern understanding of medicine. Uh, there was internal issues. So Roosevelt actually came, was at his side, and then went back to business as usual because they thought he was going to recover. And then McKinley took a turn for the worse. And now you have President Theodore Roosevelt, you know, one of the great, good, bad, or indifferent, one of the biggest, brashest, loudest presidencies we've ever had. He's a huge figure in American history. It's just amazing that he almost refused the role that made him president. Well, there is the case of, it was either Harrison or Garfield, I never remember which, I read it in a book recently, where somebody was offered the vice presidency and they said, oh, I can only guarantee it if, you know, he, he dies or something. Obviously, that president died. So that person, whoever it was, could have been president, but they didn't think that they would die or be assassinated. Because you don't you don't think about that really, you know, especially in the modern day, presidents can get poorly, you know, we've had plenty of presidents who've had operations and office Reagan was shot, but you also almost think they're immortal and invincible, you know, obviously security is a lot better. So, you know, hopefully there's gonna be no more assassinations. But I think the only thing I can really think of is when uh, John McCain picked Sarah Palin, because John McCain was old. He knew that, you know, if he there was a chance he might die in office and he needed somebody young to replace him. Yeah. And Roosevelt, of course, he became the first of these guys who was very well remembered. He won the presidency in his own right. He was the first ascending vice president to do that. But then when he was running his bull moose ticket later on, which was unsuccessful to return to the presidency, he himself was almost assassinated. He was actually shot. It wasn't too bad of a wound. He finished the speech famously because he had a dramatic flair for the theater. He's like, hey, I finished this speech. I'm, this is legend stuff. Let me just go ahead and rack out this 45-minute speech right quick with this bullet in my chest. Um, he almost fell to an assassin himself. That's a pretty interesting bookend to a political career that your last campaign, you get shot and you're, you become president because of an assassination. That's just part of the legend of Theodore Roosevelt now. But that's pretty extraordinary stuff when you actually sit and think about it. Well, he knew that he wasn't mortally wounded because he wasn't coughing blood, which means it hadn't hit a lot. Basically, if you watch a film and someone's coughing blood, ain't good, they're probably going to die. And it lodged in his glasses pocket and his speech, which was 90 minutes long, very, very thick. So he went, oh, I'm okay. You can't kill a bull moose. Don't kill the guy, please. Read on. And then went to hospital. I mean, that is just Chad behavior. Come on. All right. Silent Cow, Calvin Coolidge, interesting figure in American politics, 
would that more of our politicians get the nickname silent anything so we wouldn't have to hear from them constantly. Warren G. Hardy died. Now, Harding and Coolidge had an interesting relationship. They weren't particularly close, but Harding, who was pretty good with administration stuff, he did have Coolidge sit in on cabinet meetings and things, which was not the norm now. Now that's kind of the norm. The president takes the briefings, does the cabinet meetings. Harding, somewhere in the back of his mind, understood, yeah, we he needs to be somewhat involved here. And wouldn't you know who won the pony? Harding collapses and dies of what we think was probably pneumonia or related illness on a West Coast tour. And now all of a sudden we get President Calvin Coolidge. Yeah, I mean, that was almost nice of her and say, you know, he's vice president, he should sit in. I mean, that's pretty sensible. I know he was a bit of an interesting character, but it was sensible. But it helped Coolidge because he wasn't actually that close to Harding. So when years later all the stuff came out about Teapot Dome and all the corruption, all the sex scandals, Coolidge was clean because there was nothing on him doing anything really naughty. He was hands-off, but he was you know, a faithful husband. There's no major scandals. So that, you know, helped him a lot. But obviously, you know, the Harding thing was covered up for quite a while. But you can imagine Coolidge finding out and not saying anything and just being like, Oh, living up to the nickname. But I do think it's cute his father swore him in. I just think that's a really adorable family bonding moment. Yeah, you're the president now. I'm going to swear you in. Yeah, so the thing with Coolidge, too, is he did, had something that happened to a lot of these guys. He actually ended up taking the oath of office more than once. Now, this has happened a couple times. This has happened recently where they had, remember, um, John Roberts, they redid it just to make sure because he bumbled a word and they just wanted to make sure. So they did it again, even though it was, you know, there, the legalities of it. This was another one. He actually took the oath twice just to make sure they got it right. How in the world are we still fumbling the oath of office at this point, just doing it over and over again, make sure we got it right, like it's some kind of magic spell? Well, because they weren't sure if it was legitimate under um, his father, because his father was like a notary of the public, but it wasn't like a proper like federal judge. So this happened with another president. They weren't sure if it counted. That's why they did it. It wasn't fumbling the words. It was, they just weren't sure it technically counted. And they wanted to do it in public as well, because he did it in the middle of nowhere with no electricity or phone lines, hence why it's took ages for them to locate him some to reason about because he was literally climbing a mountain when word came and there was nowhere near civilization yeah but what could be more american than getting sworn in by a notary republic and your father i just like i said I mean, that's really sweet a notary yeah that was a play on words i said notary republic but that's funny All right, uh, Sarah Stoke joining us. Very famous vice president that ascended for a couple of different reasons. Harry Truman. Um, of course, FDR had poor health his entire life. It was hidden from the public. So for the public, it was a shock when FDR died because for most of them, he had been president most of their adult lives. Most of them didn't remember any other president than FDR. Truman comes in, you know, you, there's politics involved here. You know, he oversees the Second World War ending. He oversees the beginning of Korea. He has to follow FDR, which is not an easy task. He drops the atomic bomb. 
Harry Truman, people have kind of forgotten that he ascended after FDR, though, because of all the stuff that happened during his own presidency. Well, yes, because FDR was, like you said, very poorly, but it wasn't until like photos of the Ulster Conference came out that everyone realised how, you know, pale was. It was said that Stalin and Churchill were aghast when they saw him. If you see pictures, he's so frail and so tired looking it's clear that something is wrong but the reason Truman was chosen partially because they knew that Roosevelt had a good chance of not making the term they knew he was poorly so they needed to pick someone who would be decent so the first vice uh, Roosevelt's first vice president was seen too conservative for Democrat the next was seen as too left-wing so Truman was like the compromise candidate but you know they barely saw each other they met about three times in private between the inauguration and Roosevelt's death. Truman didn't even know about the Manhattan Project. Somebody pulled him aside after was like, oh, by the way, we're gonna we've got some nukes. Eisenhower knew about it as like head of the army, but Truman was found out he was like, oh, okay. And that's a pretty big thing to put on somebody. Yeah, we've got these nuclear weapons that could kill thousands of people. Do you want to do it? It might save more people, but it's still a horrible thing. And, you know, it's still so controversial today, isn't it? I mean, there's a reason why the Japanese don't like nuclear weapons and they're pushing for disarmament. Yeah, interesting stuff with Truman. When he left office, he was very unpopular, but that comes from firing MacArthur and some other stuff. And again, he had to follow FDR. Nobody's going to follow that with the contemporary. But the historians have been pretty kind to him over the years. He's one of those presidents whose reputation has changed quite a bit uh, in the years since he served. I mean, you get that. I mean, if you look at somebody like Andrew Jackson, he was praised by historians. And I think rightly so, you know, paid off the national debt, things like that. He was quite a good president. But then you look at things like how he treated the Native Americans, things like that usually come to perspective later, things like civil rights. Woodrow Wilson usually praised as a very good president, but also, I mean, he was ex-racist for the time, which means he was racist. Then you get some who get, you know people are warmer you know george bush jr you know very controversial but i think people are actually softer on him now which is really interesting maybe they're comparing to trump when the iraq war still controversial but people seem to be a bit softer on him which i find quite interesting but i don't think he'll ever be ranked one of the greatest sarah stuck joining us okay the most famous of these by far and it's because of the photograph involved uh, plus the circumstances, but Lyndon B. Johnson, the Kennedy assassination, the famous photo on the plane, Jackie's standing there shell shot. I'm actually happy that there's no video of this because, God, this just had to be horrific for everybody involved. Johnson doesn't want to be there. Nobody wants to be there. Jackie's just shell shocked standing there, but there's the famous photograph on the plane. Plane was actually on the ground. You know, the, the body's on the plane of President Kennedy. For that generation, this was the watershed moment. You know, anybody of my parents' generation, it's always, where were you when Kennedy was shot, right? This is just an indelible image in the American psyche. So by far, this is probably the most famous of these on your list. But there's some interesting background into all this, you know, and a little tidbit of history. The only woman to ever swear on a president happened right here. And called Sarah, because it's the best name. Hey, that was a cheap pop. But anyway, interesting stuff surrounding this, not just because of the Kennedy assassination, but Johnson getting sworn in on the plane, the woman that swore him in. Just give us a little of the background on this one. 
Well, tax, it was a year, just about a year before the next election and Texas, which had been solidly Democrat for many, many years, as well as the other parts of the South, were starting to look a bit like it could slip through Kennedy's fingers. So Kennedy and Jackie, who usually didn't go to these things, but they've become quite close since the death of their infant son, Patrick. She joined him, uh, the Johnsons and Governor Colin. Uh, Connolly uh, and his wife, who would later, Connolly would later become a Republican. He was quite a conservative Democrat. So, you know, they did a whistle stop tour of some other cities and then in Dallas, um, at about, you know, midday, obviously Kennedy was shot. Governor Connolly was also shot. There was a um, bystander who whose cheek was nipped. And obviously the police officer, Tippett, who would also be killed by Oswald later in the day. So obviously the Connollys and the Kennedys were about two cars ahead of the Johnsons and then obviously shots rang out went to Parkland Johnson and Mr Johnson put safely away in a room then somebody called it what's in called Mr Johnson president which is when uh, Mr Johnson would later say that's when I knew because he was referred to as Mr President and this happened very quickly you know Kennedy was shot midday half uh, 12 died at 1pm and about half an hour later, Johnson was sworn in. So this happened in, what, two hours, which is a very, very quick two hours. It's like the length of a film. One moment you're in the car and you're vice president, then two hours later, you're president. The one before he was assassinated, his widow was just looking shocked. I mean, I know Johnson's a controversial character, but can you imagine that? That's. I think it's probably m- m- the most horrific. Yeah, the, it... Again, I I opened it up with this. Like I'm I'm on one hand, I wish there was video on this, but on one the other hand, I'm glad they didn't film this because the, everything going on there just had to be the the picture speaks for itself. When you look at the faces and you look at everybody involved, and you know the picture of Jackie Kennedy is the one everybody remembers. You know, l- literally had her husband in her lap at one point, crawling off the car and all that. You know, she's just staring off into the distance, really. I mean, she had PTSD. Afterwards, it's you know it was kept quiet, but she yeah. was treated afterwards, and it was the kind of thing that probably wasn't really discussed back then, especially maybe for a woman. But your husband got his bla- his brains blow out in front of you. You know, you're holding on you literally, not to be yeah. graphic about it, but you know, she's got blood everywhere. She's holding him as he dies. He's he's like gurgling and breathing, but he can't talk. So he's like breathing, but you know, you get to hospital and the doctors say, you know, he's not dead, but we can't do anything. I wrote an article a while back about presidential deaths and whether they could have been prevented. And I said, even in this day and age, Kennedy had his brains blurred out. Even the best neurologists, neurosurgeons in the world could not do it. He would have died. Sarah Stuck. All right. A little bit lighter note, but a dark moment in American history. Gerald Ford. Um, of course, he takes over when Nixon resigns. Still the only president to resign, although we y'all y'all get resignations all the time. That's actually <laughs> the preferred method of getting rid of your prime ministers. They resign. They just they just go hit the skids. We haven't we haven't mastered this yet. We need to work on it. We should have more resignations than we have. Ford comes in 
Um, he bites the bullet and pardons uh, Nixon just to try to get the country moving. He's got one of the worst economies modern America has ever seen, which kneecaps him. Still overperforms what people thought he was going to do in the election. He holds off a guy named Ronald Reagan in the primary temporarily. Um, loses to Jimmy Carter. Ford's another one of those guys where you kind of go, you know, great human being, perfect man for the job at the time, probably not a great president with the circumstances, but his rise is one of those where it's a good, how he handled it probably made it a lot better than what it probably could have been or should have been. Yeah. Ronald Reagan, I wonder whatever happened to him. I don't know. I think he made some commercials or something. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they they picked Ford as the vice president because, A, they knew Nixon was in trouble and they needed somebody who was universally liked and respected everybody on the Hill, on both parties. You know, he's an upstanding man, no scandals. He's, you know, good at his job. And he wanted to be speaker. And he thought, oh, vice president, nice way to end my career. And then they were getting ready to go live at the uh, vice presidential address. And then somebody came and said, yeah, there are these tapes coming out on Monday. It's not looking too good. And Ford turned to Betty and said, I don't think we're going to be living in the vice presidential house. Basically, him probably the first and only accidental president to kind of know his fate beforehand. Interestingly, he's one of the very few. Like, Here's how the vice presidency has changed. It would be a political scandal to change your vice president in the middle of an administration now. He had to replace, of course, a vice president that was scandalized. But people forget Lincoln went through a couple different vice presidents before getting to Andrew Johnson, which, of course, Johnson got impeached. You know, Johnson got impeached. Johnson showed up to his swearing in under Lincoln so drunk that they had to send him home. You know, Johnson's probably not a great example. Like people forget vice president was an interchangeable part. Ford replaced a vice president. But he also um, replaced one on the ticket. He replaced yeah. with a doll. In seventy six, so he did yeah. the same thing, and then he did the same thing. But if if Biden was to replace Vice President Harris, that would be almost. I, I know the internet clamors about stuff like this, but like that's just unheard of now. You would never do that now. It'd be political suicide. It'd be seen as a. But the vice president we was seen as an interchangeable thing. It's really, really changed now, hasn't it? Yeah, I still think the vice president probably doesn't have as much power as you would think for somebody who's a heartbeat away from the presidency. Now, like I said earlier, I think Dick Cheney is definitely the most powerful we've had because, you know, Bush let him basically have, obviously we don't know the whole thing, but Bush essentially let him have free reign. I mean, Kamala Harris probably does have her, you know, she does have her constitutional duties of being over the Senate, but I think she's sort of been pushed into a role of, you know, going and doing speaking engagements. Because you forget that most of the time, presidents and vice presidents aren't friends. The only one who were genuinely close were Carter and Mondale. They've either had a good working relationship or some really hated each other, like Calhoun and Jackson, who wanted to kill Calhoun, though he did want to kill a lot of people, to be fair. So, Yeah, and to be fair to, to President Biden, I think him and her really do get along. And I think he wanted that above everything else because him and Obama really got along when President Obama. But, you know, I think he wanted that to be a non-issue. I think he wanted to be a congenial relationship, a working relationship. So to President Biden's credit, I think he really does get along with her. And I think that was his goal was to have a vice president. They don't need to be best mates, but as long as, you know, they work. I mean, there's, you know, a generational 20 odd year generational gap. But, you know, there's been plenty of you know, many different generations. So, you know, you can expect that. And so long as they don't, 
I mean, there's always been rumours that they're briefing against one another. But, you know, years later, after the Obama-Biden administration, it came out that Obama had his, you know, worries about Biden. So it maybe wasn't as close as we thought. But so long as they sort of, you know, don't actively want to kill each other, and it works for the country, obviously, because that's the most important part. I think that'll be the model going forward, though. Like, you know, Bush and Cheney, you know, Cheney had a portfolio he took care of. He did the form foreign policy stuff. Biden, although the Obama administration was very different, you know, Obama gave him some very public stuff to do, you know, whether it was ceremonial or not, he gave him stuff to do. Biden and Vice President Harris, you know, he 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 goes out of his way to give her some shine on stuff. I think that's the model going forward, though. I think it's going to be a working relationship presented that way, whether they get along or not, at least publicly facing. I think that's the new model, at least for the next couple cycles. Yeah, I mean, I'll see if Trump runs again, which, you know, he probably is, and he does actually get to the nomination and picks a vice president. It's not going to be Mike Pence again. But we'll be interested to see if he, he does pick someone he gets along with, because I think him and Mike Pence are, like, totally different people who, you know, maybe had were polite to each other, but I don't think there was any love lost. So it'll be interesting, yeah. but, you know, I, you don't know. He might run as an independent. He might pick a Republican. You never know. Um, I'm thinking Ron DeSantis will probably win the nomination for the Republicans, barring a major catastrophe. Who will he pick? You know, you don't know because you've got to look at it's not just about who's your friend, it's about geography, um, maybe if they're a minority, things like that. They t- that tends to, you know, work, make, be way more important than if you like them as a person. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. And of course, we, we know President Trump pretty well by now. There is nobody that he won't put underneath the bus. So good luck to anybody that gets that job as vice president uh, nominee with him. Sarah Stuck, always enjoy talking to you. This is an elections-daily.com. We love those folks a lot. These are great little historical pieces to have. We'll link to the whole thing. Sarah, let folks know where they can find you and follow you until we get you back on her tail again. Um, so we've uh, continued with presidential runners-up. We're getting into uh, about the 1920s now. Uh, for the Mallard, I'm writing about uh, consorts, but I'm also going to do a piece about surrogacy because that's been in the news recently, and I think that's quite an interesting thing. Um, and I also have a piece out for the Mallard about 10 fictional women who don't suck, based purely on the whole Velma situation and how strong, independent women are written in the media who usually are just like not that good. Yeah, and you wrote about this before. There's so many historical women that need some Hollywood attention. It'd be nice if they'd go through some of them uh, first. But we'll talk about that next time. Sarah Stuck, always enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, ma'am. Bye. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org 
or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutan. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find the Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thesweatypenguin.com.